Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Man, it's a great honour to be here. I want to take a minute to honour your location pastors as well, Sanjeev and Joss. Fortunately, Sanjeev is not well uh, this morning, but even though they're not here, I want to honour them and just say, man, I love those guys and uh, love their heart for people, love their heart for the city, love their heart for uh, the city of Sydney. And, uh, and it's just a great privilege. And I, I hope and pray today um, that I might be able to just serve you in a little, in a little, in a small way and help you uh, in this series of future. Now, a quick thing about me, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my, my name's Luke. I'm from our Elevation Cairns uh, location, uh, which is way up north where it's currently 24, 25 degrees. I have to say, I'm loving this weather down here though, right? I'm wearing coats that I didn't even know I had because you just don't pull them out in Cairns. Uh, I'm married to the beautiful Nikki. She did a video message, I think, a few months ago on uh, anxiety. She's a clinical psychologist, and so I'm definitely, I've married up. Um, and we've got two beautiful kids, uh, Georgia, who's four, and Leonardo, who is Two, I love them dearly. Um, as I said, we pastor the church in Cairns. Uh, Nikki works as a psychologist as well, and we own a small business. We actually own a candy store uh, in Cairns, which is pretty, pretty wild. Um, yes, my wife calls me quite literally her sugar daddy, uh, and uh, no, I wish. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're in for a great morning. We're going to get into the Word of God. We're in a series called Future. We're looking at the life and story, example and experience of a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. And just to bring you up to speed, I don't want to assume everyone knows the story or everyone is familiar with this. We've got a short bumper video just to catch everyone up before we dive into the word together. In a world of vibrant hues and eccentric characters, follow the remarkable journey of Joseph. A dreamer, betrayed by his own brothers, thrust into a captivating tale of resilience and redemption. From the confines of slavery to the opulent corridors of power, witness Joseph's rise as a leader. His path intertwines with an alluring woman, while his dreams and God guide him through treacherous waters of intrigue and forgiveness. For this adventure we'll need a pit, a slave's tunic, a dream about wheat and stars, a dream about cows and grain, a signet ring, a cupbearer's cup, and a technicolor coat, starring Jacob, Joseph's eleven brothers, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker, and Joseph. Immerse yourself as Joseph's technicolor coat and unwavering spirit captivate, an extraordinary adventure where dreams and destiny collide, a stunning and emotionally captivating journey of faith, discovery, purpose, and divine alignment. Very cool, very cool. Don't you love the power of AI? That is completely AI generated, uh, which is awesome. I also love the power of our six locations as Elevation Together. We are better together. I could never do that, but I am one of many locations where we've got amazing, talented people that can pull this kind of stuff off. I wouldn't even know where to start. Just chat GPT or something. I don't don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But we are uh, in this series called Future, Embracing... God's dream for your life. Uh, Proverbs 16.4 says this, The Lord has made everything for His own purpose. The Lord has made everything. Everyone say everything. Everything. Say it again with me. Everything. Everything. 
The Lord has made everything for His own purpose. Everything that has been created has been made to serve what the Greeks would call a telos, a a goal, an endpoint, a design or a purpose. Everything that has been created. I mean, mosquitoes serve a purpose. Uh, Oysters, snot in a shell, they serve a purpose. Annoying family members, God bless them, they serve a purpose. Cats, Serve a perfect, I don't know what it is. There are some mysteries we won't have an answer to this side of heaven. Serve a purpose. Everything that has been created uh, serves a purpose, which means you and I have a purpose from God. We are not, as the uh, atheist, uh, naturalist, biologist named, a lot of ists there, isn't there? Uh, Richard Dawkins. We don't ascribe to the view that someone like he does that says at bottom there is no uh, right or wrong. Actually, I'll read the quote for you. Uh, There is no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference in the universe. No, we don't ascribe to that. We believe that we are fashioned and formed in the image of our Creator with a specific function and purpose in mind. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, and it'll come up on the screen, we'll read it from the big Bible there. Paul the Apostle writes this, he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, right? As followers of Jesus, we've been created anew. We've been born again. Uh, Now we are children of God. We've been created anew. Why? So that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. Part of our salvation story, part of why we are on the planet is one, we've been brought into relationship with God. Now we've been reconciled back to Him. We spoke about that in that worship moment. It's phenomenal. It's incredible, but it doesn't start and stop there. God then wants to take our lives, shape us, mould us and use us to do the good things that He planned for us long ago. And I'm convinced today that if you're in this place, the dream and divine destiny God has for you is significant. Can I say that again? I believe it's significant. I'm not saying, don't get it confused. I'm not saying it will be necessarily prominent. We don't chase worldly success. We don't look at what the world puts as being the dream, the big, chasing the big or chasing the money or chasing the fame or being well known. That, that's, not, uh, that's not what is significant in the kingdom. We're, we're chasing kingdom significance. We are called to kingdom effectiveness. We're, we're called to do that which, uh, uh, not as necessarily more, but that which matters, that which makes a difference in people's lives. I believe in this room today, maybe there are some people that are called to reach nations. I believe in this room today, maybe there's some people, the call of God on your life is to reach cities. Maybe today it's to uh, uh, take on an egregious and, 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 and terrible injustice in society and bring about societal change. I want to tell you, your call is significant. But maybe today you're, you're, you're somebody here and you're not called to reach a nation, but you are called to reach your neighbour. Yeah. I want to tell you, that's significant. Yeah. That's big. We don't measure it by what the world meant. No, that's big and it's significant. Why? Because it's what God's created you to do. (laughs) It's because that's why you were put on this planet. 
Maybe today you are called to be the leader in your medical field or on the very cutting edge of pedagogy and teaching in schools and creating classrooms and environments for kids. That's significant. Or maybe today you're a single parent and part of your call is to raise up your children as on fire followers of Jesus that are gonna make a huge difference in the world. We don't look at it how the world, no, that is significant. Why? Because it's what God has called you to do. But here's the question. What do we do when we've had that dream, but that dream gets disappointed? What do we do when a dream is derailed by disappointment? How do we move on from that? How do we get through that? Uh, Several years ago, I became really um, interested in finding out about my family history. It's just kind of odd because of, you know, 25 or 30. Normally it's something that you look into in your senior years, I think, is the stereotype. But I got interested in, I wanted to know, where's my family from? What does my last name mean? I have a unique kind of different last name. And so I went and saw one of my family members in North Queensland, uh, and he is from Sicily, right? Now, I'm very Australian, but he is, uh, he's my cousin. He's from Sicily. That's where my family originated from. And I thought, I'm going to go ask him what his last, what our last name means, right? And get the insight on that. And I had some big dreams for that. I had some hopes for that. I'm like, it's going to mean valiant, right? It's going to be mighty warrior. It's going to be like, surely we're connected to royalty somewhere, you know, in in our history. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be great. So I go see him and we sit down. He's got the espresso. He's got the biscotti. uh, He's got the Pavarotti in the back. La donna mobile, right? (laughs) Qual più malvento, muta da cento, di pensiero. Anna, you know that one, don't you? Yeah, you know that one. And we're sitting down uh, and I ask him, and he's got the thick accent. I don't understand a lot of what he says, right? Like, you just smile and wave, you know? Like, he's a lot older man. And I'm talking, I'm like, Cousin Johnny, his name's Giovanni. And I'm like, what? I sit down, what does our last name mean? And you can see, this is a good question. He likes this question. He's like, I'm not very good at the accent, but I'm going to give it a go, okay? So bear with me. I'm like, Cousin Johnny, what does our last name mean? I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> the name of is a good name. It have a good meaning. I'm like, excellent. Okay, this is good. Your business, no, he come from Sicilia, Nicatania. He come to Australia. He have 12 brothers that come to Australia in Babinda. Okay? I'm like, okay, this is good. Getting a little bit of family history. I'm like, so what is the name? The name of Nutrifor. It's a good name. It have a good meaning. I'm like, great. This is going to be awesome. This is something I can stand on. It's going to be just powerful. I'm going to shake my whole identity around this. The name of Nutrifora, it mean this. It mean the people who sell the nuts. <laughs> and I'm just like, Miss Guzzi, right? Like, <laughs> Pardon me? Like, I, I, what did you just say to people? Like, That's not really a good name, Cousin Johnny. It's like, That's okay, it's okay. The name of Nutrifora, it also mean this. It have a two meanings. It mean this. The people who sell the nuts. Um, but it didn't mean this, it mean the people who are nuts. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, every dream and image I had of what my last age just went crashing down to the ground. I, I was so disappointed. I'm like, 
I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to know about the nuts we sow, whether they're pistachios, cashew. I don't want to know about that. I'm done with this, right? And my journey of like, it ended at that moment because I'm like, I don't want to be the people who are nuts. It might explain a few things to you this morning, okay? Like if, it, if it's coming across, it's just my, I'm living out my heritage, right? And so I lost, I lost interest in that. But it was about a year or two later, I was studying at uni and we were doing a couple of units on Greek and we came across this, this coin and it's a coin from... From, I think the second century BC of a ruler named um, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he minted this coin. Let's get it up on the screen if we can, if it's in our little arsenal of, uh, of things. Oh, there it is there. I was looking on the back screen. I'll be here all day if I was waiting for that. All right. And, and you see, it's got his face on there. Uh, he's a, a king of the Seleucid Empire. So they spoke Greek. And it says a few things, Basileus, Antiochus, Theu. It basically... Uh, Antiochus, King Antiochus, um, God manifests, right? But then down the bottom, it has this one word, just down the bottom there, you can see it, and it's the word Nikiforu. And I thought to myself when I read I'm like, that sounds familiar. Uh, and I talked to my, my lecturer, I'm like, hey, that name there, th- th- this is my last name. Can I? I'm like, do you think there's, like, that's the root word? He's like, you know what? That's probably, you're probably accurate. That could be the root word of your last name. And I'm like, redemption, redemption. So I ask him, what does it mean? And it's got the word Nike, right? Nike, the, the Greek god. You see Nike, the little, see the little angel thing there? That's the Greek god Nike. It means, and, and, and it, it, this is what the, it means. The, as, I, as I research it, it means bringer of victory. Yeah. You're dang right it means bringer of victory. Come on, somebody, right? Hope was restored. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. How many know that one of the most powerful forces to work against the dream that God can bring in you to your life is the power of disappointment and hurt. The power of disappointment can shut down the dream of God in your life. Uh, in particular, the disappointment and hurt that is caused not just by our experiences or situations, but is caused by people. Many times people give up on a dream because of a bad experience with people. People break our trust. They let us down. They betray us. They hurt us, non-Christian and Christian. You've got to watch out for those Christians. The worst ones out of all of them. And because of that hurt, when we hear God's call, when we talk about future, when we say embracing God's vision for your life, instead of being met with hope and excitement, it's met with hesitation that's good, Luke, but I don't want to get hurt again. Or maybe it's met with dismissal. Man, I've heard this all before. I've been in church long enough. I, I, know, I know the spiel, big dream, blah, 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 blah. Or maybe it's met with outright rejection. And what happens is if we allow disappointment to get inside of us, we begin to settle for what we have now. We start to become okay with where we are in life. We sometimes even get a little bit self-focused and no longer believe for what God is calling us to have in our future. And over this series, we've been looking at this life of Joseph, and I'm going to give a quick overview soon, where Joseph gives, uh, where, sorry, God gives Joseph what we would call prophetic dreams, informing him of his divine purpose. 
that one day he would be a ruler. And we go on to read, he becomes second in command over all of Egypt, the superpower of the day. But there are four pivotal moments in Joseph's life where his divine dream is potentially devastated and derailed by the disappointment and hurt of people acting badly. So let's cover these four things. And as we cover them, maybe you'll be able to identify with some of them. And I want to talk about at the end, how did Joseph do it? How did he come out the other side when everyone and everything, as the saying goes, every man and his dog was hurting Joseph along the way. So let's have a look. There's four moments in the life of Joseph where he is let down by people, four groups of people, four representatives of people that might try and hurt us in the dream. The first one is this, the first person is his own father. Joseph tells this divine dream of what is to come to his father, but instead of being met with, with, with encouragement, he's met with criticism. The Bible says this in Genesis 37, 10, it says his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground? Instead of being supportive, he's critical. Instead of being excited, he's offended. Joseph is hurt by his father. Secondly, Joseph is hurt by his brothers. The story goes on. Joseph goes out into the wilderness to check on his brothers who are tending their sheep and they devise a plan to kidnap him. They then take his coat, tear it up and dip it in lamb's blood in order to convince their father that he was attacked by a wild animal. Verse 28 of Genesis 37 says this, So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites and they took him to Egypt. I mean, this is human trafficking, Joseph is sold as a slave by his own brothers. So we have Joseph being hurt by his father, Joseph being hurt by his brothers. Then Joseph is hurt by a man named Potiphar. He's bought in Egypt as a slave by this man who is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He was in the royal court. And the Bible says that Joseph excelled in all he did. And so he was entrusted Right, he was trustworthy, he worked hard, he exercised the gift of leadership and, and, and that divine call to rule just within the context of Potiphar's house. And so he rose up the ranks. The Bible says this in Genesis 39 verse 4, that Potiphar was pleased and so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Joseph starts to gain trust he gets a level of status. He has some of his dignity returned to him when he begins to get the attention of Potiphar's wife, who one day or over a series of days in Potiphar's absence tries to seduce Joseph, but Joseph resists her sexual advances. She gets so frustrated and angry that at one occasion she snaps and accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Now, this is the ancient world and Joseph's a slave. He has very little rights. In the court of, of you know, of however they worked it out, he, he's done. There's nothing he can say or do. He's a slave. She's an aristocrat. It's over. And so Potiphar, instead of entrusting or trusting this man he'd been working with who had done so much for his household, rejects him and throws him in prison. He's hurt by Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Then fourthly, there's the cupbearer. 
Joseph gets, this is the fourth. So we've got father, brothers, Potiphar, and then fourthly, cupbearer. In prison, Joseph exercises the gift. He fulfills the divine purpose of ruling, but in the context of a prison. It's not long before Joseph is somehow appointed. I didn't know there was ranks in a prison, but apparently there is. Joseph is put in second in command over the prison. And one of the, the people imprisoned is a cupbearer. Who was, in, who was in direct contact with the Pharaoh. He worked in the Pharaoh's court, a trusted official, probably a trusted advisor in that role of, of cupbearer. And this cupbearer has had a, had a prophetic dream. God has been speaking to him about something that will come to pass. He doesn't know how to interpret it. And so he goes to Joseph and Joseph interprets it for him. And Joseph accurately interprets it and asks that when this cupbearer is restored to his position in government, that he speaks to Pharaoh and pleads his case. But verse 23 of chapter 40 in the book of Genesis says this, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, let's just think about these four people, these four moments, these four scenarios. I mean, if there was ever a... uh, there was ever the embodiment of the saying being kicked from pillar to post. This is it, right? Like, this is the original Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Like, poor Joseph. I mean, look at this. He's just been, can you put yourself in his shoes for a moment? Maybe you can. Uh, his father betrays him. His father had had his own dreams from God. His father had wrestled with God. His father knew what prophetic vision was. And in being in a position of authority over him, I mean, Joseph should have been able to trust him, to educate him, to help him, that when he said, hey, this is my dream, to come alongside him, right? A trusted spiritual figure in his life. And yet instead of being supportive, his father comes down on him and tries to shut down that dream where it stands. Maybe you've had people in your life that you trusted to be that spiritual figure of support for you. And instead of being supportive of the dream, they've tried to cut it down. Now, I'm not talking about people who've advised caution, who said, hey, that's a great dream, but just be cautious. That's called wisdom. But people who, because of their own insecurities, their own sin, their own mistakes, just their own imperfections as a human being, have tried to shut that down in your life. Maybe you've been hurt by someone like Joseph. Or we think about the brothers. I mean, these are people that Joseph did life with and trusted. I mean, this was his own brothers and they betray him. They choose in a moment, they have a decision to make. Will we serve our own interests and sell Joseph or will we serve the greater interests of what God is doing? And they choose themselves. Maybe today you've been working along, you've got a colleague or an employee or someone on your team or a situation has happened where they had a decision to make. Am I going to serve my own interests at the expense of you? Or am I going to do what's right and, and, you know, hope that it works out? And they chose to serve their own interests. It's painful. That betrayal can shut the dream down. It was an attack on Joseph's identity. Then there's the Potiphar. I mean, he doesn't believe Joseph's objections. He isn't, doesn't trust Joseph. And so Joseph is slandered. Maybe today you know that feeling of when you've been slandered by somebody. You trusted them, you worked alongside them, or you're doing life with them. And you know what? It just, out of nowhere, they just turned. And they didn't believe you, or you know, they thought the worst of you. They questioned your motives when you've been doing everything that you can in your power to do what's right. And maybe you know what Joseph feels like, or maybe like the cupbearer. Someone who you've served, loved on, given your all to because it's what you were called to do. And then when the time comes where you need their help, 
Where are they? They don't want to know you. They've got no time for you. They're not really concerned about you. They're always just concerned about themselves. Hey, maybe you know what it's like to be Joseph. And two years after this cupbearer incident, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream. He doesn't know how to interpret it. It's a prophetic dream from God. And the cupbearer remembers. Gee, that would have been an awkward moment. But anyway, he remembers and he calls Joseph and Joseph comes in. Now, if that was, and, and Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, now, if that was me and, and I was brought before Pharaoh and he wanted my help, after all these things that have gone in my life, no, thank you, I'm good. <laughs> I'm done. I am done with people. I'm done with all these dreams. In fact, Pharaoh, you can take your dream of your cows and your barley and your wheat and you can put it where the sun god Ra does not shine, right? Like you can, you can do that. I don't want a bar of it. I am out. I am done with people. They've heard me too many times. But that's not what Joseph does. Joseph, in verse 16 of chapter 41, says this, it is beyond my power to interpret your dream but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph goes on to interpret Pharaoh's dream as a prediction of a great famine. And then he goes over and above, exercising the gift of leadership on his life and gives Pharaoh a step-by-step strategy for how to prepare the nation for this famine. Pharaoh says to him, man, I need someone to run this project. I'm appointing you. You are now second in command. And in a moment... Joseph goes from prison to palace. Joseph goes from dungeon to destiny. I look at this story and I go, how? How on earth does anyone make it through? How do you keep going when person after person has hurt you? Is anyone feeling me this morning? How how do you look at the Joseph? How did you hold on to this dream through the ups and downs along the way when people have hurt you, when people have betrayed you, when, when there could be so much distrust in your heart? How did you hold on? And I want us to learn from Joseph's life today. And I want to give you two thoughts on this, okay? Two thoughts as we bring the last five or so minutes of this sermon to a close. Two thoughts for how you and I, how do we move through the disappointment based on the example of Joseph. Here's my first point for us this morning is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. As you read through the story of Joseph, you see a man who despite all that's going on is clinging to the God that he serves. When he has success in Potiphar's house, it's explicitly said it was God who was on his side. When he's resisting the temptation of Potiphar's wife, Joseph says, I can't do this because of my God. Uh, when it comes time to interpret the dream to the, to, the, to the cup bearer, he says, it is God who will give the interpretation. When he gets in front of Pharaoh and has to interpret this dream, we just read it. He said, it is God who will bring the interpretation. Along the way, the whole time, Joseph's eyes are not fixed on the pain. Joseph's eyes are not fixed on the situation. Joseph's, not eyes, Joseph's eyes are not fixed on, on all the different players in the story. Joseph somehow manages to keep his eyes fixed on the God who gave him the dream in the first place. And I love what the Bible says in Hebrews 12. 
the author of this book, this is in the New Testament. Again, it's one of the letters written to a whole bunch of churches where the author is teasing out and trying to explain what the death and resurrection of Jesus means for the early church. And he says this, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. He says, hey, come on, we wanna run with endurance. We wanna get to the end of this thing. We don't wanna give up along the way. We don't wanna let disappointment or pain take us out. We don't wanna let sin take us out. We don't wanna let our struggles take us out. We wanna run this race with endurance and get to the end, right? But here's the cool thing. He tells us how to do it. I love it when the Bible tells you how to do it. He says, how do we do this? He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on? Come on, say it with me. Keeping our eyes on? Does He say, keep your eyes on the problem? Does He say, keep your eyes on the pain? Does He say, keep your eyes on on the history? No, He says, keep your eyes on? Why? Why Jesus? Because He is the one who initiates and He is the one who perfects our faith. What does that mean? Well, He was the one who called you in the first place. And He is the one who's going to bring it to pass by the end. There's no point. There's no point in fixing your eyes on everything else. Fix your eyes on Jesus because it started with Him and it will finish with Him. And whatever it looks like in the middle, whatever goes on in the middle between those two points, listen, your boss will let you down. Your co-workers will let you down. Other Christians will let you down. Church leaders at some point are probably in some way gonna let you down. Churches will let you down. People are broken. People are imperfect, right? Your siblings, your spouse, everyone around you at some point in some way will probably let you down. But we have this hope that Jesus will never, ever, 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 ever let us down so long as we cling to Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe some of us today, our eyes are fixed on, and I get it. Hear me right. I want to be really pastoral in saying this. Like when you've got, when, when you've cut yourself, my daughter is four. She gets like a scratch that no one can see. And she's like, Dad, I need a Band-Aid, right? I'm like, you can't even see. Is there blood? There's blood. I'm like, there's nothing there. It's just... You know, but when you cut yourself or when you do get an injury, your whole focus goes on that, right? Like, it would be pretty weird if you've lost an arm. You're like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Like, dude, your arm's missing, right? When you've got an injury, all your attention, because of the pain, all your attention goes on that. And it is the same in our walk with Jesus. When we've experienced pain, man, it it can consume our life. And I get that. So I want to be very pastoral and say, I'm not invalidating people's pain or the hurt that others have caused. I I would never, ever do that. But what what I want to say is this, is that even in the midst of that, would you be a person who would still choose to lift your eyes up and set them on Jesus? Because focusing in on that pain alone without Him is, is, I don't know if it'll ever deal with it. And maybe for some of us, we've allowed the pain to distract or the the hurt to distract us from the purposes of God. And I would say, hey, set your eyes on Jesus again. Maybe you've got to get some professional help with that to move through it. I I get that. My wife's a psychologist, 100% believe in that. But maybe 
for some of us is we, we've got to get in the prayer closet again. Say, God, I've forgotten. I've forgotten the dream. I've, I've, I've put my eyes on other things. Jesus, please show me the dream again. Show me the dream again. Show me the dream again. Show me the dream. I've, I've allowed the pain to put me on the sidelines. I'm done. I, I'm getting on the field again. And even though I might still have a little bit of an injury, I'm getting back involved and I'm not going to let it hold me back because I know that my purpose is attached to your plan being outworked in our city. Yeah. I don't have time for the second point, but suffice it to say this, you know, Joseph, his dream was not just about Joseph. There's an element of the dream of God for you. It is about you. Like, man, it's about the awesome things God's going to do in you and through you, but it's kind of also not about you. (laughs) Millions of people's survival hinged on Joseph's ability to not let the hurt take him out. I mean, God took him to Egypt. There was no other, this is, this is the providence of God. There was no other country or empire at the time that could do what, he, what, what needed to be done. I mean, the Nile Delta was the most fertile region in, in all of Mesopotamia, in, in all of the Levant. You couldn't do this in Babylon. You wouldn't have been able to do it with the Hittites. You wouldn't be able to do it in Assyria. It had to be there, so he ends up there. They're the superpower. They've got the money, the infrastructure. They can build the, the buildings to house what's needed for this famine. They can build the roads to access the food that's needed for this famine, right? And along the way, God just puts Joseph in situations. He permits him to be sold, yes. But he ends up in Potiphar's house. Why? Because Potiphar was in the royal court. Joseph is given firsthand experience of what it's like to deal with government, <laughs> He sees the power dynamics. He sees the power struggles. He sees the way things are run. And then he's also responsible for running the the estate of a wealthy aristocrat. So he learns a lot of skills. Then he ends up in prison. Why was he in prison? Well, it was not just any prison. It was the political prison. It was Pharaoh's prison. All of the dissidents, all of the rebels, all of the really cunning guys that would come at you, right, (laughs) with the knife behind your back. He was hanging out with those guys. He was being trained in, okay, these are the things I've got to worry about. These are the things I've got to think about. He was being positioned and primed to to, to lead the greatest superpower at the time, and not through just a, a time of plenty, but through the greatest crisis that they'd ever known. And God uses Joseph to literally save the lives of millions of people. In fact, Eventually, his brothers come and they ask for food because they're starving. And they receive food, they reconcile. You know, there's a whole part of the story that we don't have time for. But what's interesting is one of those brothers was Judah. And if you follow the biblical descent down the years, one of the direct descendants from the line of Judah is Jesus. It's Jesus. So for Joseph... His life, what God had called him to do, millions of people were going to be affected by what he would choose to do in those situations, whether he would let his, his hurt take him out. It, 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 millions of people. And then not only that, the line of Jesus came through Judah. I mean, like we are still being impacted by Joseph's decisions all those years ago. The fact that we, Jesus is now our Savior, our Lord. Like, I mean, it's crazy. It just the snowball effect of Joseph's influence. And I'm not trying to say, man, everything hinges on your decision. It's all basically, I'm not saying that. But I think in some way, we've got to lift our eyes and set them on Jesus and also remind us that God, God's counting on me to make a difference. I can't sit on the sideline anymore. 
I've got to get back in the game. Right across this place, why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You. I thank You that You've called us. You've called us to get back in the game. I recognise, Lord, that there's some people here and maybe they've been hurt. I mean, it's going to happen. You spend enough time in church. It will happen. But maybe that disappointment and pain of being let down by people has prevented them from getting back in the game. Maybe they've been hesitant. Maybe they've been dismissive. Maybe they've just outright rejected the call. Maybe doing this series is just like grinding because it's pressing on something. And that's a good thing, God. We thank you for that. And I'm believing today that there are people here that maybe they haven't been in the, they've been on the sideline. Today, they're going to get back in the game. Today, they're making a decision to not let the pain rob them of the call and the destiny that God has for them. Right across this place, with eyes closed, head bowed, would you just stand to your feet with me for a, for a second? We're about to finish. Maybe today, that's you. Maybe today you're like, you know what? I've allowed pain to, to, to just derail me. I've, I've been sitting on the sidelines. I've been hesitant. It could be because of experience or maybe it's because of people. I don't know. And I'm not here to judge or anything like that. But what I want to do is I, I want to pray with people today and just believe that today would be a line in the same moment. I, I'm not promising that all the pain will just disappear. Maybe it's going to be a journey. Maybe for some, God just lifts it off your life right now. That would be awesome. And I believe that can happen. But maybe for some, it will be a journey like Joseph just working through it because that'll probably equip you right for the destiny that God has sometimes we think the equipping is only knowledge or skills but oftentimes the pain is also what equips us we don't like that part but it's how God operates and he uses all things for his good right maybe today you're like that's me I've been on the side I need to make a decision today to get back in to to, to engage again with the dream just as eyes are closed heads about no one's looking around but I just I will look around because I just want to know who I'm praying with because I can't see a decision in your mind but I can see hands raised I can see people responding physically you're like that's me I've been on the God help me. I want to get back in. God help me. Would you just lift your hands to heaven? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet right across this place? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Eyes closed, head bowed. If you're like, that's me. That's me. I I want to get back in the game. I want to set my eyes on Jesus afresh today. It's a line in the sand moment for me. Would you just lift your hands wherever you're at? Just raise them up to heaven. Come on, nice and high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Who else? You're like, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm getting back in the game here. I'm engaging with the dream again. I'm not going to be hesitant. I'm going to engage. Just lift your hands to heaven. Come on, right across this place. Father, today I pray that Lord, for these people here, that God, You would do a miracle in their life today. Lord, where there's been pain, where there's been hurt from the past that's prevented them from uh, engaging, they've disengaged with the dream, or maybe they've been hesitant today. I pray firstly that You would lift that off their life. Help them, God, to work through that, to process that, to, to, to release that to You, God, in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to fix our eyes on You today. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the One who called us from the start, the One who will bring to perfection at the end, Lord. You will help us along the way, Father. Release Your grace right now. Release Your grace right now over each person today, we pray in Jesus' Name. Hey, still praying with eyes closed, heads bowed. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I recognise that a lot of this message was geared towards those who already follow Jesus. Um, But maybe you don't. Maybe you're not a follower. Uh, I want to tell you, God invites you into His purpose. It's actually what you were created for. He has a plan for your life. He really does. It's not just a cute thing to say. He really, really does. 
And part of that plan is to come into relationship with Him. In fact, He was willing to send His own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross around 2,000 years ago now and then rise again from the dead to make a way for you to enter into that relationship. Uh, St. Augustine once said this, is that our hearts are restless, Lord, until they find their rest in You. In other words, we were created for relationship with God and something is missing until that relationship is restored. We can't fill it with material items, can't fill it with money or success. Or, I mean, those things are good. They satisfy for a moment. But, but when all things are said and done and, and you breathe your last, they don't, they don't matter. I mean, there's no security for your eternity. That's for sure. They're not going to follow you after you breathe your last. Uh, it might be good in the here and now, but God's plan for you is both for the here and now and for all eternity. He saves you. He gives you a brand new life. He offers you a resurrection in life evermore. He offers you forgiveness of your sins and a new start. The Bible calls it, if you make a decision to follow Jesus, the Bible describes it like this, that you are born again. The old life goes and a new life begins. And maybe today you've never made that decision or at some point in your life you had. But if you're really honest, like mask off, no faking it. If you're just really honest, you're like, eh, I'm not walking with God. Like I'm not in relationship with Jesus. If that is you today. The, either of those two people for the first time or a recommitment, I'd love for you to just raise your hand for me across this place. And all I'm going to do is say a prayer. Again, I can't see your decision in your head, but I can see your hand. So just lift your hand up and I'm going to say a prayer with you. We're all going to say it together as a church. We're not going to embarrass you or call you out the front or point you out to everyone, but just lift your hand for me right across this place, nice and high so I can see and then you can put it down. I'll look across one or two more times. I don't want to miss anyone who might be making this decision today. Come on, friend. You know that you've got to make this decision. There there might be a physical kind of response going on in your body. Sometimes that happens. It's just the Holy Spirit convincing you, just pleading with you to say, come on, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Take the leap of faith. Take the leap of faith. If that is you, just slip your hand up nice and high for me. Awesome. Thank you. I see that hand. That's wonderful. I knew there was at least one person. Is there anyone else? You're like, thank you. Thank you for breaking the ice. Sometimes it just takes a moment. Is there anyone else? You're like, yeah, that's me. I've got to make this decision. Come on, nice and high for me so I can see. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, today, thank you for this. Church, why don't we all say this prayer? This is for that person that raised a hand and anyone else who didn't quite get, feel that they could raise a hand. That's okay. This is what matters, the prayer. Why don't you repeat this after me? Lord Jesus, today, I'm deciding to follow you. I'm sorry for my sin, but I thank you that you forgive me and that today I'm born again as a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen.